you thankful for? Now in America, towards the end of the year, towards the end of November, there is this celebration called Thanksgiving that they celebrate every year. And it is actually a very good celebration because it causes the people to pause their daily activities to really reflect on the things that they have and what they are grateful for. And although this is an American practice and it's not at all practiced here in Malaysia, I believe that this is something that is actually very helpful for us as, as believers as well. We need to pause at times to really reflect on the things that God has blessed us with. So I want to ask you that question again. What are you thankful for? Think about it. Is it the person next to you? Are you thankful to God for the person next to you? Okay. <laughs> are you thankful for the work that you get to do every day? Are you thankful for the health that you have? That you're able to, to get up every morning healthy? That you have all the uses of your limbs? You have all the uses of your organs? And you do not have, and you do not have any pain? Now, statistically, if you have access to an education, if you have access to medical supplies, if you have access to clean drinking water, not counting next week's water stop, and if you come from a home where your mom and dad and your baby sister and your pet dog all live together happily under one roof, then you are already better off than 90% of the world's population. Let me say that again. Your quality of life, by, the, by your virtue of sitting here tonight, your quality of life falls in the top 10% of the world's population. You know, brothers and sisters, my friends, we truly are a blessed group of people and we have so much to thank God for. We have so much to be thankful about. So, think about it this evening as we look into God's Word. What are you thankful for? Now, if you look up in a dictionary, thanksgiving is actually defined as the expression of gratitude. And this was from the internet, from Wikipedia, an expression of gratitude especially towards God. So thanksgiving is an expression of gratitude especially towards God. So this evening, I'm going to suggest a few things that we should certainly, most certainly, most definitely be thankful for. And the first one is this. I should be thankful for me. Can I hear somebody shout out, I'm thankful for me. Not very convincing. <laughs> Please say that again. I am thankful for me. And I hope that you understand that I'm not referring to me as in you are not thankful for me, but you can be thankful for me. But I'm actually referring to yourself, that you need to be thankful for yourself. While I have no doubt that some of you sitting here tonight have absolutely no problem saying this to yourself every day and loving it in front of the mirror, I also recognize that there are many people in this world, perhaps some of you in this room, who struggle to even be able to utter such words. Perhaps you have really self, low self-esteem and you cannot accept who you are. But unless you learn to love yourself, you will not be able to love others. Unless you learn to love yourself, you will not be able to fulfill God's second greatest commandment, which is to love others as much as you love yourself. So we need to learn to love ourselves 
and to be thankful, thankful for ourselves. Now why? First of all, because the Bible tells us that we are God's masterpiece. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 of the New Living Translation uh, says this. Please read along with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Now, very many years ago, when I was still a student in England, I had the opportunity of travelling to Paris. And I know earlier this week, we heard the tragedy that had hit Paris, that the, the, the great and famous, beautiful cathedral of Notre Dame was burnt. And I remember visiting the, the cathedral. It was a beautiful place. I really enjoyed the structures. But what I remember more about Notre Dame was the Disney cartoons, Hunchback of Notre Dame. And if you, if you follow along with me, if you remember the cartoon, that this cartoon is about a hunchback who was rejected because he, seemed, he was born with certain defects. And in the cartoon, it was portrayed that there was a celebration. And in that, in that celebration, there was a competition for the ugliest face. And in that competition, the hunchback of Notre Dame, without even putting on a mask or without even putting any effort, easily won the competition of the ugliest face. But believe it or not, in God's design, there are no such things as accidents. The hunchback of Notre Dame was accused to have a face only a mother could truly love. Now, I'm sure many of us here knows that our mothers love our faces and also our spouses and our fathers as well, hopefully. But many of us can really thank God that we have a fully functional, fully perfectly, perfectly good-looking, gorgeous, handsome faces that we can thank God for. But there is not a single one of you here in this room that God made a mistake. When He made you, He was absolutely certain that He wanted you to have that family nose. He was absolutely certain that He wanted you to have that particularly, particularly beautiful smile. He was very sure that He was going to give you single eyelids and not double eyelids. There are no mistakes in God's design. And here we are reminded that we are truly God's masterpiece. Created, He created us from the very beginning and He knew what, was, what He was doing. And the second thing that we are told is this, that every one of us were created in God's beautiful image. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says this, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Now when you make something out of scratch, you make something out of your own effort and your own energy, out of your own intuition, out of your own creativity, it shows your passion. It shows that you are proud of something that you made for yourself. And so let me ask you this. If God truly made every effort, He, he designed you from scratch, he, he absolutely loved what He created, would He then proudly put His image on you? Now, if I, dis if I painted something beautiful and I was not very good in my arts when I was in school, I got a C, but it was good enough to pass. And I remember that whenever I painted something in school, you had to write your name and submit this um, for your classes. 
I was very poor at, at, at uh, arts. And uh, for many, many of my assignments, I actually did not complete the artwork because I thought it was utterly rubbish and not worthy to be submitted. And so many of the works that I started were not signed. I was afraid to put my name on it because I was afraid that such atrocities could be linked back to me. Now, but if I were to create something absolutely beautiful, if it was something that my teacher said, wow, this is the best design in the whole form. In fact, we're going to put it up in the school headmaster's signboard. No, more than that. In fact, we're going to send it for competition. I would most certainly put my name chop onto that painting. That would be my creation. And I would be most pleased to have my name written on it as well. When God made you, He was most pleased with His beautiful creation that He planted His image on each and every one of you. That is to say that not only does God call you His masterpiece, but He's so proud of you that He wants to put His image on you as well. So turn to your neighbour and say, you know what, I am thankful for me. <laughs> and I'm thankful for you too. And in spite of everything that we have just discovered, and I know it's just the beginning of the message, in spite of everything that we've already learned, Yet many of us still ask this question, what was the purpose of me being created? Why did God create me? What is my purpose in life? Why did God create humans to, in the first place? Now, if we read in the Bible, we will begin to understand. God did not create us because He you know, was feeling lonely. God did not create us because He desired fellowship. Uh, well, sorry. God did not create us because He needed fellowship but rather He desires fellowship with us. He desires us to have and develop a relationship with Him. But as a summary and as a whole, the purpose and real reason why we were created is for His glory. We are created for His glory. Isaiah chapter 43 verses 6 to 7 says this, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And this, if you are careful in your reading, you see is a repeated concept throughout the Bible, that we were created all creation was made so that God may be glorified. So the reason why you and I were made, the reason why you, were, uh, you and I were called masterpieces and that God would put His image on us is so that we could give Him glory. And so our primary purpose is to give Him glory through the lifestyle that we live, through our worship, through the things that we say, through our testimonies and testifying to others about God's goodness. And that's how we glorify God. However, we have all fallen short of His glory. We have failed to maintain this standard that God has required of us. The book of Romans tells us in 3.23, For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standards. 
when we are supposed to shine for Him, when we are supposed to show other people the magnificence of God, we have failed. When we are supposed to live righteous and holy lives, we have failed to live such um, righteous and godly standards. And because of these things, because of our failure, there is a problem. Romans 1.23 also says, Instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And we begin to understand, if you read the book of Romans and you read the beginning of the chapter, you will understand what is, the author is saying. That in the beautiful creation of this earth, in the, the animals that fills the air and the animals that roams the ground, in all of God's creation, the beautiful trees, the mountains, the seas, mankind can see that this is a work of masterpiece of a mighty creator. And in all of nature, already proclaims the glory of God, mankind still fails to honour Him. And that's why this author says this, instead of worshipping the glorious Creator, Almighty, ever-living God, mankind resorted to worship things that are created by their own hands. Instead of worshipping the Almighty Creator, mankind chose to worship the created things. And so because of this, the problem existed. The reason why we celebrate, we observe Good Friday is because of this. That the wages of sin, because we have fallen short, it meant that we, not, we have not achieved the standards of God, that we would not be able to um, spend eternity with Him. And the wages of sin, we are told, is separation from Him. Separation from God, which then leads to a spiritual death. So in order to rectify this problem, in order that we will no longer be separated from Him, God had to send Jesus. And so we come to our second point of tonight, that I am thankful for Jesus. Turn to your other neighbour and say, I am thankful for Jesus. We are thankful for Jesus because Jesus would be the solution to our predicament. Because we have fallen short of God's high standards of, of uh, glory, Jesus had to come and step into the picture. I'm thankful for Jesus because, first of all, that He came. When Jesus came, here's a little bit of, um, um, not a fun fact, but actually many facts that I'm going to show you tonight. When Jesus came to the earth, he fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Okay? Now, there are many people who question whether Jesus even existed at all. And many people even question whether Jesus truly is the Son of God, that He really died upon the cross. But let me uh, present to you these facts, and then from there, you derive your own decision. Okay? So as I repeat, in the Old Testament there were over 300 prophecies that prophesied about the coming Messiah. Jesus was able to fulfill them. These prophecies were foretold anywhere between 1,200 to 450 years before Jesus even was born. That's 1,200 to 450 years. In Malaysia, Parameswara was just discovering Malacca. And in that kind of context, Parameswara was predicting 
that today we would be sitting in air-conditioned rooms, that we would have touchscreen handphones and we would have foldable phones that cracks within one or three days. That is the idea of what, what uh, Jesus did. 450 years ago, prophecies were written about the Messiah and Jesus would fulfill them when He walked on this earth. Mathematicians would say this. Now, I had a, a, a mathematics background. I studied engineering, but my mathematics is given back to the school. <laughs> so this is a conservative number. Mathematically speaking, the odds, the percentage, the chances of anyone fulfilling this amount of prophecy is staggering. Staggering. In fact, mathematicians put it this way. For one person to fulfill even eight, for one person to fulfill even eight of the prophecies, it would, it would be one person in 100,000 trillion. Do you get what I mean? In 100,000 trillion people, only one person would be able to fulfill even eight prophecies. Jesus fulfilled over 300 of them. And so it is very, very certain that He is the Messiah that the Old Testament prophecies, the Old Testament prophets were talking about. This evening, I'm going to share with you just that eight, because I'm not adventurous to try 300. But I'm going to show you eight prophecies that were prophesied in the Old Testament. And I'm going to assume that you know enough about the life of Jesus to be able to identify how and where He uh, fulfilled these prophecies. So the first prophecy that Jesus uh, fulfills is this, that He was born in Bethlehem. The book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. Micah is a prophet who lived during the 8th century BC. So that will be about 750 years before Jesus. And Micah was a prophet who was actually prophesying to the people of Jerusalem and Samaria. And he was prophesying that one day a ruler will rise up. But in those days, Bethlehem was just a small village that is close to Jerusalem, the, the, the capital of the nation. And so when Micah made this prophecy, he pinpointed Bethlehem to be the place where the Messiah would come from. And many of us know, because whenever we celebrate Christmas, we always sing that Jesus was born in the old little town of Bethlehem. And although Jesus, Jesus grew up in Nazareth, he, we know that He was actually born in Bethlehem. So, this is the first prophecy that Jesus fulfilled even before He was born. Already the prophecy was fulfilled being born in Bethlehem. The second prophecy that Jesus fulfilled was this, that He would be born of a virgin. Now the first prophecy is, okay lah, you know, people live in Bethlehem. Sure, it could be a small village, a small town, but many people could have fulfilled this. But how many people would have fulfilled this second one, born of a virgin? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord Himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God 
is with us. Now, Isaiah is also a prophet and also a contemporary of Micah. So they were both ministering in the 8th century BC, around the same time and uh, in the same area. And Isaiah is a prophet who, who lived through the exile of Israel. And he prophesied that our deliverer will come and he will be born of a virgin. And as we know, Jesus was not only born in Bethlehem, but he was born of Mary, who was a virgin. Second prophecy that Jesus has fulfilled. The third one is this, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that Jesus would enter triumphantly and he would be riding on a donkey. Zechariah 9, verse 9, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And if this particular passage is not familiar to you, you can actually look it up in the book of Luke chapter 19, where Jesus does enter into Jerusalem and he does ride on a donkey's colt or a baby donkey. That's what a colt is. Now, for those of you who are uh, more learned and you are more exposed to your Bible, you probably recognize Zechariah who comes from a priestly family and he actually uh, worked very closely with the prophet Haggai during the rebuilding of the temple of Jerusalem. So, so uh, Zechariah ministered in the 5th century BC when the people had returned from the exile and they were rebuilding the temple. And it is interesting because these are the people who have returned or are returning and are building the temple and he gives this prophecy your king will come and you have to understand the way prophecies work at times that it may have a um, um, present relevance so Zechariah was prophesying to the people to encourage them to encourage those who are returning from the exile that our king will come that he will deliver us that we will see the the re-establishment of the temple but at the same time, Zechariah was also prophesying of the soon and coming King Jesus who would also enter into Jerusalem victoriously with much rejoicing and riding on a baby donkey. So those are three prophecies that Jesus fulfilled when He came. And I am glad that He came because I know that He came for a purpose. The second thing that, I'm, I am, that I am thankful for Jesus is this, that He loves. When a person shows up, whether it is for a party, whether it is for a seminar, a presentation, it shows that they care about you. They care enough to want to invest their time to sit down and listen to what you have to say or to watch what it is that you have to present. Now, when I was a schoolboy. Uh, in primary school, I was part of the brass band. And being in the brass band, I had the opportunity to play very many different in instruments. There was the pianica, there was the trumpet, there was the trombone. But I think the instrument that I was most proud of was the cymbals. Now the cymbals, <laughs> it's not a small thing, 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 like, uh, not so proud. Okay, the, pro the cymbals is this huge um, cymbals. Huh? Something like the, the big drum clashes that we have. But I played that because I was the only one who held the cymbals and I would be able to, to crash the cymbals at the most um, 
climax parts of the song. And so, even though during the whole song, you know, I would just play lightly, ching, 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 ching. But when it comes to the end, when it comes to the crescendo, the most, the best part of the song, I get to give a huge... And that gave me so much satisfaction. And every year during sports day, the brass band would come out and play. And I didn't get to play the cymbals every year, but for that one particular year, I believe when I was standard four, I got to play the cymbals. And you know, as it is with every child, I, I told my parents, oh, I'll be playing this uh, in the brass band, I'll be playing in cymbals. And it so happened that on that day that was our Hari Sukan in my primary school, it was also my older brother's report card day in his high school. And so my parents had to uh, juggle between coming for sports day or, or obviously going to collect my brother's report card. And so I remember that when I was there at the band and we marched out onto the field, I was looking out for my parents. I knew my mom couldn't come. I forgot what the reason was. But my dad told me that he would try and make it. And so as I was there, I was playing, you know, I was looking out, I spotted my father. And I saw him standing amongst the crowds. And I felt so loved. I knew, I felt so proud because I knew my father cared enough so that I could play the cymbals. And so when the end of the song came, at the highest crescendo, I played my best and loudest crash. And there was a huge smile upon my face. And then as I, as I finished the song, as we were about to march off, I saw my father smile and he walked away. He had to go to collect my brother's report card. But I knew that he stayed through the whole song. I don't know if he remembers, but I saw it and it truly left a mark on me. It showed me that he cared. When a person shows up, it shows that they care. But when Jesus showed up, when he came onto this earth, he didn't just show that he cared. He showed up because he loves. Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to go and die for each and every one of us. And Jesus only reflects his Father's love for us as well. We know this very famous Bible verse in John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus showed up not only because He cared, not only because He loved us, but because He was willing to die to save us. And that's why we observe Good Friday. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4-7 to says this as well. Even before He made the world, even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do and it gave Him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son 
and forgave our sins. I want to draw your attention to this. In verse 4, that very first verse uh, that, uh, that I shared, even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. Earlier on, I, I asked this question and I asked you to consider as well. Why did God make us? What is the purpose that He even made us? Now, for those of you who understand the book of Genesis, that in the beginning of all creation, we know that God started, um, He started, thank you, Xiao Chong. He started uh, creating the world by speaking light. And it took Him six days. But it was only on the sixth day of creation that God created mankind. Right? But here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, even before He made the world, even before we humans were conceived, God loved us and chose us. And why? He, verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Why? Because he wanted to. This is what he wanted to do. Why? Because it gave him great pleasure. God made us because it gave him great pleasure. God thought he knew, even though he knew that we would get in trouble, even though he knew we would not be able to live up to the standards that are required for us to have a, a true relationship with him. He still loved us. And even though He knew that in order to redeem us, He would have to sacrifice His own Son, that His own Son would have to die a humiliating death on a cross, He still made us because He loved us and He gave Him great pleasure. So I am thankful for Jesus because He loves me. And the third thing is this. I am thankful for Jesus that He gave His life. Now, I remember a long time ago in school, when I was still in school, a lot of school days, uh, reflecting. And someone asked me, why is Good Friday called Good Friday? I mean, why is it called good when we are actually remembering the sacrifice and the death of our beloved Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Why can't we call it Sad Friday or Reflecting Friday? Yeah, I was going to say Fun Friday, but that doesn't work. Why call it Good Friday? And I remember struggling to come up with an answer. But in the newspaper, the Star newspaper no less, this comic appeared. This is called the BC comic. I don't know if any of if, if, uh, you, you remember, but this BC comic used to appear in our Star newspaper. And it says this, I hate the term Good Friday, one of the guys was saying. And the friend would ask, why? Well, my Lord was hanged on a tree that day. And the friend replies, if you were going to be hanged on that day and he volunteered to take your place, how would you feel? Good Have a nice day. 
the reason why we call Good Friday good is not because of what happened to Jesus, but it's good for our sake. Jesus died on the cross in our place so that you and I don't have to. And when He went to the cross, He not only gave His life, but He continued to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament that I talked to you about. So I didn't forget, I didn't forget, I only talked about three prophecies so far. Here are numbers 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. When Jesus went to the cross, He fulfilled another prophecy that He would be betrayed by one of His closest friends. Psalms 41 verse 9 says this, Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. And this psalm was written by King David, and King David lived uh, 800, I think it's well, 9800 years before Jesus was born. And Jesus, uh, sorry, King David often writes about his own struggles and often writes about his own isolation. But when he was writing this, he was talking about how whenever I share food with somebody, it is supposed to reflect a close fellowship, a close unity. We spend time with one another, we are good friends, and that's why we will share food. But even my closest friend, my best friend, has turned against me. And we know that in the case of Jesus, one of his own beloved disciples would betray him. In fact, in the book of Luke chapter 22 again, we will read that Jesus himself says that the one that I dip my bread into and offer to would be the one who betrays me. And that is Judas Iscariot. So this is the fourth prophecy that was fulfilled by Jesus. The fifth prophecy that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And now we are back to the book of Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 to 13. And he says this, If you like, give me my wages, whatever I am worth, but only if you want to. So they counted out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, this magnificent sum at which they valued me. So I took the 30 coins and threw them to the potter, in the temple of the Lord. Now for those of you who might remember, when Judas Iscariot um, realized what he had done, when he, had re- when he was filled with remorse and regretted that he had betrayed the Lord Jesus, he took the money that was given to him and he threw it at the feet of the high priest at the temple of Jerusalem. And we are told that the amount there was 30 pieces of silver. And a little bit of background check actually talks about Zechariah was talking about 30 pieces of silver as the wages of a servant during that time. So 30 pieces of silver is the price of a servant. And here, Jesus was being betrayed for the price of a servant. Prophecy number six, number seven, and number eight. That Jesus would would stand trial. That he will be condemned for not his own sins. That even though he is condemned, number seven, he will stand silent before his accusers and not say anything. Number eight, his death would be a death as a sin 
offering. And this is found in the book of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 is known as the chapter of the suffering servant. It talks about the, 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 the pains, the sufferings, the difficulties that the Messiah would have to go through. And Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4 to 7 says this, Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And in the Gospels we read that Jesus, after being accused, after being beaten up, was brought before Pontius Pilate. And there before Pontius Pilate, there were so many allegations against him, accusing him of sins that he did not, he did not uh, perform. And Pontius Pilate, looking for a way to release him, asked Jesus, aren't you going to say anything? Won't you defend yourself in front of what all these people are saying? Their charges against you are serious. But Jesus kept silent. And Pontius Pilate was shocked. But Jesus did all these things in order that He may fulfill prophecy. Why? So that you and I will be able to identify that He is the promised Redeemer, the promised Saviour that God had planned for you and I. And so this evening, we want to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. This evening, we want to remember that even though Jesus did not sin, He took our place on the cross. And in a little while, we're going to observe communion. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back on stage. But as we observe this evening's communion, let us remember that we should be thankful, that we need to have an attitude of gratitude to God, that we need to be thankful for ourselves, because God loved us so much that He made us in His image. That He gave His Son, Jesus, so that we don't have to suffer on a cross, but we can put our faith in Jesus and be saved by Him. This evening, let us reflect on the Word of God. Let us remember the prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled, the struggles and the pain that He has gone through, so that you and I may be saved. Seated. When Jesus died on the cross, we are told that He indeed took our place. That when He died, He was a, the blameless, pure, sinless Lamb. And because He sacrificed His life, He totally and utterly fulfilled one other prophecy, the requirement of the Mosaic Law. The only way in the Old Testament to restore a relationship back with God 
was to fulfill a blameless life. No one could fulfill God's glorious standards except Jesus Himself. And even though He fulfilled all requirements, even though He honoured His Father, He glorified the Lord with the life that He lived, yet He was the one who died as the blameless sacrifice so that we may be washed clean. This evening, the third thing that we should be thankful for is that we should be thankful for new life. New life that God gives us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8-10, to 10, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before creation. Jesus was chosen before creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times, in these last days, for your sake. And Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24 again. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins, that is death on the cross. So no matter who you are, no matter if you meet the standards of God, no matter if you are the top 10% of this world's population, or you're right smack in the middle of the 50%, or even if you are at the lowest percentage of the percentage of this world's population, every one of us has this privilege and this invitation to put our faith in Jesus Christ that if we believe what the Bible has said, that He is the Son of God, that if we believe that Jesus is the only one who was able to fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies, 300 over of them, that if we believe that Jesus was blameless, that He died for our sins, and that He is willing to forgive us, then we can have this new life in Him. And in this new life in God, that he, we are told that he, he makes us a new creation. He gives us a new life where our value is not in our, our abilities, not in the things that we can do, but our value is in God. Our value is in the image that we are made of, the Almighty Creator. But this evening, your faith cannot stop at just your heart alone. Your faith cannot stop at just believing in Jesus alone. The life of a Christian must glorify God. The life of a Christian must be thankful and, and reflect an attitude of gratitude towards all that has, God has done for you. So if you say, 
that you want to believe Jesus in your heart, then you must show it in your actions. You must glorify God in your deeds. This evening, I presented to you the Word of God. I presented to you the claims of Jesus and the prophecies that He has fulfilled. I presented to you His glorious, gracious and merciful works on the cross. And He died on the cross for your place. And I want to present to you the invitation to have a relationship with Jesus, to become a follower and a believer, to be a child adopted into the family of God, and to be a joint heir of the kingdom of God, to enter into eternity in heaven with God. Then, I want to invite you to make this step of faith. With every eye closed, every head bowed, and if you say that yes, I want to receive Jesus into my life, I've heard the sacrifices of Jesus and I am thankful. I've heard the things that God does, that God loves, and I want to be a recipient of His love. And let me invite you to raise your hands wherever you are seated and no one else looking around. Between you and God, you say, Lord, I believe, I believe, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he has fulfilled all your requirements. I believe that he was sinless and blameless and that he died in my place. And I believe that he has come to save me. You raise your hands now and say that you want to have a relationship with him. Thank you, brother, for raising your hands. You can put it down. Is there anyone else who would like to invite God into your life? You say, Lord, yes, I want to have that relationship with you. I want to enter into an, a relationship of eternal love with you. Raise your hands. Thank you, brother. And now I speak to the rest of us whom I believe that you already have a relationship with God. And this morning, perhaps, you realize that in the life that you have lived, you have not given God His deserved glory. You have failed to meet His standards. And you, rec you realize that in your Christian walk, you have taken God's sacrifice for granted. Well, the promise that God has given us is a new life. He has promised us that He will help us to overcome our self-image issues. That He's promised that He'll, He'll help us to overcome, setting us free from our sins. And He has promised that He will also relieve us from any diseases and illnesses on our body. And so if this morning, this is your prayer. Say, Lord, I want to live a new life. I want to live a powerful life. I want to live a life that glorifies you, that honours you. I want to live a life that is committed. Then let me ask you to raise your hands and say that, Lord, I want to live better for you. I want to be committed in the things that I do, that you may be glorified in all that I do. Yes, Lord. God, we thank you for those hands that are raised. 
And I thank you, God, for the hearts of many of the believers here who are already surrendered to you. Father, I pray that you work in, in each and every one of us. We know, God, that your work in us is not yet complete. And we pray, God, that you will reveal to us every single day your glory. We pray, Lord, that you change us, you mold us so that we may become more like your Son, more righteous and holy like your Son, and that we will bring glory to you as well. We thank you once again for this evening's service, thanking you once again, Lord, for all that you've done and for reminding us of the things that you have said for us as well. As we go home tonight, we pray that your presence and your blessings will go with us. We thank you once again, Lord. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.